Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode, I have Louise Velasnor. Louise is the founder of Ketogains, a community-driven exploration into the pursuit of physical excellence via ketosis. He is also known as Darth Luigi Online and is regarded as one of the most experienced and knowledgeable people in the low-carb keto community and is many people's go-to guy when applying a low-carb diet for bodybuilding. Luis, thanks so much for coming on to the show today. Thank you, Ari, for the uh, invitation. So uh, I just blasphemized your surname. For any Spanish listeners, could you just say your surname properly? Uh, Well, as uh, if you were a Spanish... uh, the speaker, you would say Villasenor. But normally for uh, people who speak English, it's easier just to say uh, Villasenor. Mm. And I can see why you chose Darth. What a- just before we get into it, why Darth Luigi? Where does that come from? Is it like a Mar- Mario Brothers thing? Uh, in a way, it's very much uh, like uh, they used to call me Luigi. Uh, my name is Luis, of course, which is like the Italian version of Luis. And uh, I'm a Star Wars fan, so... <laughs> It was very much my alias when I used to play online games or so. So basically, that's it. Okay. Uh, when I first made an account on Reddit, that's uh, the username I choose. Uh, I chose. So basically, that's how it stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So for anyone who, for a little bit more background on you, um, I've been following you a little bit on and off over the years, and I remember um, you're a prolific. I don't know if you still are a moderator on the the keto subreddit uh which is a massive resource are you still involved in that yes i am i'm not as um involved in the in the way as in uh, being there all the time uh because of my responsibilities on keto gains but uh like every time that people tag me i always uh respond so if you tag me either like in any other forum that i'm present i'll always take a look and uh give you advice Okay. So mm-hmm. my first question for you then is why did you choose a ketogenic diet approach for strength training all the way back in 2001? Uh, well, uh, my background is very much uh, that I was a classic overweight kid. So I wanted to uh, uh, grow muscle, but I was also stay lean. I didn't like the idea of, um, you know, a classic bodybuilding where you have to bulk and then cut. Uh, in my mind, it really made no sense um, to get fat and then have to uh, diet down, especially because I had uh, dieted down or lost weight by diet, and I know how hard and uh, tiresome it is. So again, it didn't make uh, much sense. So I was looking for a way to build muscle and stay lean at the same time. Um, and uh, upon doing research, I found out that a keto diet could be very much uh, the answer. Uh, because uh, for some people, um, they'd say that uh, you cannot build as much muscle while on keto. And it's very much masked by uh, not really gaining that much uh, water weight, glycogen. Uh, that's one of the main reasons people think they cannot build that much muscle on keto. Uh, but al- it also allows you to stay uh, leaner. Uh, like, uh, do you, I'd say, in a way that you are not so hungry when you are in ketosis, it allows you to maintain a caloric deficit or to keep track of your calories 
uh, in a more sensible way or easier way, or even uh, intuitively for some persons. Mm-hmm. So, so it's more sustainable, you, f- you found? For, uh, not for everybody, but for people like me, uh, it was very much the answer. Uh, first and foremost, because uh, like I think a lot of people, I tend to binge on carbs. So uh, like uh, if I have a high carb meal, especially of uh, processed foods, it's very easy for me to overeat. Uh, whereas if I'm eating whole foods or low uh, carb foods, I can very much get satiated with a, a little amount. And it's easier for me to push myself to eat if, uh, more if I need to, as to reach my, uh, my macros, rather than to stop eating. I don't know if uh, you get the feeling, but again, it's like try to eat just one slice of pizza versus try to eat, uh, suppose, suppose that you have to eat two uh, uh, chicken breasts and you only have hunger for one and a half. Well, it's going to be easier for you probably to eat a little bit more than to stop with a one slice of pizza. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you think that's a, an issue that traditional bodybuilders have? That, uh, I'm just thinking of the diets that I normally would, would think that they eat, where they're eating chicken salads and protein shakes and bars and everything because they're eating so many meals in a day. But that, in a, in a way, some of those foods, you, you think they could trigger an overeating effect? It uh, it's not the the time the amount well it's not actually the how many times you eat but more so I'd say the combination of uh, food you know uh, uh, eating a super uh, what we call highly palatable foods that also are uh, uh, or that spike insulin tends to make people overeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I had. Um... Uh, doctor on the show, Dr. Tro. I don't know if you've come across him yet, yet Collegian. No. So uh, he was telling me about, because he went from 350 pounds in weight and I think he's down to 190 and he loves weight training. And he was talking about the same thing, the problem of certain foods that, that you just can't eat enough of them. It's like a, a weakness, a food trigger. Um, mm-hmm. And he found the low-carb approach was doing the same thing. And you've, and yeah, so it's interesting to hear you saying the same even when it comes to muscle gain. So Exactly. So how then, um, because I think you touched a little bit on it earlier where you said that some people would say, how do you gain muscle on keto? Because I think some maybe a common question would be like, but don't you need some level of carbs to be able to grow muscle or maintain muscle? The whole maybe glycogen thing. That's a little bit um, a misunderstanding, really, because people think that uh, first, uh, what you actually need to build muscle is protein, not really uh, fat nor glucose. The main, um, I'd call building block of muscles is protein, right? So then uh, what else do you need? Well, an adequate training regime. That's the bread and butter. Training correctly and efficiently, which uh, a lot of people don't know how to do properly. And then eating an adequate amount of uh, protein consistently. You can store uh, fat in your body. You can store glycogen, but you really cannot store protein. Outside of your muscles, uh, there's really no uh, way to store uh, uh, protein. You have a small storage of amino acid pool, but that is depleted on a day-to-day basis. And it's not just for uh, building muscle. It's uh, basically all of your processes in the body use uh, protein and amino acids. You know, uh, enzymes are made of proteins. Your cells are made of proteins. People tend to think that just uh, 
that protein is just for muscle and it's really uh, I tend to say that human beings are a bag of proteins in a way right so every day we are uh, wasting away and we need to uh, repair ourselves and that is what a protein is principally used for not just for uh, for, uh, for muscles right then um, glycogen is important of course but people uh, usually just think that you can uh, only make glycogen from um, uh, glucose or carbohydrates glycogen as in uh, in the muscles can be refilled by itself in less than 24 hours via the recycling of lactate Lactic acid is re recycled into um, glucose uh, via the Cori cycle by itself without you eating anything else. Then also uh, you have a gluconeogenesis, which uh, a lot of people who do keto are afraid of. And basically it's uh, nothing to be afraid of. It's a normal process. If you didn't uh, uh, have a GNG, basically you would die. And it's a way of uh, your body of generating as little or as much glucose as it needs on a daily basis uh, without you having to ingest carbohydrates. So uh, for people who are uh, doing keto and are doing strength training or any other sports, as long as uh, they don't require that much in intensity, there's really no need um, to ingest uh, dietary carbohydrates. All the glucose that you need, especially if you've been doing keto for quite a while, uh, because you adapt, are going to be generated or recycled by by themselves. Okay. Like, and of course, uh, there there are some types of sports uh, that may need a little bit more glucose, and that is what you have. Not necessarily carb loading, but a targeted ketogenic approach where you increase a little bit your carbohydrate intake around your training. And when I say a little bit, I'm talking about uh, five uh, up to fifty grams depending on the duration of the session, of the type of sports, etc. But most people will still be ketogenic, and we would be saying on average between 50 to 80 grams of carbohydrates for these types of people, whereas uh, normal sedentary people would be using probably 20 to 35 uh, five, uh, grams of carbohydrates a day. Okay, so you're more of a fan of, would you say, a very low-carbohydrate diet then for general management? Uh, I myself stay on around 20 up to 40 grams of carbohydrates a day, even when strength training. I really don't feel the need. I uh, know and I train some people that do very uh, glycolytic sports such as CrossFit or Taekwondo that may uh, need to increase their carbohydrate needs when uh, they are training. But again, uh, instead of uh, staying on 25 or 40, they may be on uh, 50 or 80 grams on days they train and the carbohydrates in, uh, ingested around the training. Yeah, I mean, that's thinking about that, even someone who does um, like cage fighting or jiu-jitsu or something that... Um, even sprint training, I wonder. So you're saying just on their training days, they might ingest more carbs, but 80 grams of carbs in a day is is not a lot com compared to some athletes. Yeah, depending again on the type of uh, training you do, you may need a little bit more or less. Okay, but that's uh like uh that's something that you start with the low threshold, and you start adjusting depending on how you feel and your on what your goals are. But again, um. Uh, it really depends on what you are trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking about the protein part there, uh, you, you touched on the, the 
the issue with the Klukit neogenesis in that I think there's still a, an issue of fear in in some people in the in especially in the ketogenic community when it comes to protein intake. How do you address that when it comes to um, someone who is ketogenic and they want to gain more muscle? Uh, how how much protein do they figure out that they need to eat in a day? How how do you work that out? Uh, it's very easy. The thing is that people use a therapeutic approach to ketosis when their goal is, um, for example, body recomposition. So when you ask people what a ketogenic diet is, uh, you will find most uh, referred to it as a 70% uh, fat diet approach, uh, 20 to 25% protein and the rest uh, carbohydrates. And that is fine and all, but that, again, is the definition of a therapeutic uh, approach to ketosis, which was developed to treat epilepsy. And that's very much different from what uh, most people are doing a ketogenic diet for. A lot of people come to a ketogenic diet uh, for losing body weight. Some come from uh, for improved body composition. Some other comes for uh, the improved health and cognition effects. If you're doing it for, I'd say, an overall approach and want to get the best of the diet, I would suggest to dismiss percentages altogether. And just instead of using a percentage, use uh, grams in accordance uh, to your goals and to your uh, body weight. So how do you uh, set, for example, protein? Well, if you're sedentary, instead of using a percentage, what you do is uh, the first macro you calculate is protein. So you see how many pounds you weight, you see how much body fat you have, and what you do is you multiply your lean pounds, that is your total weight minus your body fat percentage, by uh, 0.8, and that's the starting point. So that will be your protein intake um, requirement for the day. Then carbohydrates, it can be between 20 to 30 or even more, depending, again, on your activity. And then the rest of your calories come from fat. If you want to lose body fat, then you're going to have to be in a caloric deficit, even if you're on keto. Some people say that calories don't count on keto. I don't really agree with that. Uh, that's, that is why um, you have uh, so many uh, people that stall on a ketogenic diet after a while. Uh, as your body becomes efficient, at using ketones and uh, adapting to using fats as energy, uh, it starts to, I'd say, um, even, even out. Like, that's probably another topic that we can talk later on, uh, on but um, when you start a ketogenic diet, a lot of people lose uh, weight very rapidly. First, because they lose water and glycogen weight, and also because there's a metabolic inefficiency in some persons that they're not really used to uh, getting uh, energy from fat they're more so adapted to getting the energy from carbohydrates. So what happens is that they waste a lot of energy as heat. So even if they are eating, in theory, more uh, calories than they would need or eating as much as they want, that calorie uh, or that energy is wasted for quite a, uh, for a, uh, a bit of a while. We don't know exactly uh, how long this lasts, but varies from person per, for, uh, to person. On the other hand, as you become more adapted, uh, you start to actually use this energy better. And this is why you see sometimes people that uh, stall and don't uh, stop losing weight. Probably they don't gain weight uh, uh, either, but they stay stable. But again, they want to lose body fat and they don't understand why it's not working anymore. 
Well, because you are probably not eating at a caloric deficit. And this is something that I've seen on myself. And also I have uh, heard uh, Mark Sisson, Rob Wolf, and many others that have been doing low carb or keto for years uh, tend to report. Your body becomes super efficient at using uh, fatty acids as fuel. And uh, because uh, fatty acids generate more ATP than carbohydrates, it makes sense that your body is, um, actually requires a little bit more calories that you would need on a high-carb diet. So it's not that you are uh, down-regulating your metabolism. It's more so that you're getting enough calories or you're getting enough energy or more energy from uh, less energy intakes. More, very much like if you have a well-oiled car that is going to give you more mileage by using less uh, uh, gasoline. It may sound a little counterproductive for people who want to eat more uh, because you're, if you were to eat about the same, you're going to maintain or not going to lose weight. But if you look at it as an evolutionary, uh, in an evolutionary context, it's a benefit. You actually can perform better with less uh, energy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, well, so that was like a, a parenthesis. For someone who is actually trying to strength train and build muscle, I would suggest to increase a little bit more than the protein. Instead of using uh, 0.8 grams per limb pound, you can go as high as one gram per limb pound, and that's more than you're likely ever going to need. People tend to think that more protein is better. And again, talking about efficiency and optimization, more protein really does, doesn't do anything. It's just uh, going to be used as energy, as extra calories. And in the sense of optimization, it's best to use those calories uh, from something else, like uh, probably get a little bit more fat or probably get a little bit more vegetables because um, pr- uh, there's only so much protein your body can use at any given day for us to build muscle and your other processes. If you ingest more, probably then it's going to be burned as energy. And um, there's an order and priority of how your body metabolizes each uh, energy substrate. So if you ingest more protein that your body actually can utilize, what it does is it starts to burn that protein as energy, that extra protein as energy, and then it reduces uh, fat oxidation. It's not going to be by that much, but again, talking about having all the pieces work optimally, there's really no sense to increase calories from protein because it's really not going to do anything. Okay, because I don't know if you've seen or heard about sort of this new movement I'm seeing or or, uh, become aware of is the keto carnivore kind of movement. So you've got ketogenic people who are trying to eat more of a carnivore diet, so an all-meat diet, and I guess trying to mix the two. I guess, in, would your thoughts there be that they could be ingesting too much protein um, mm, I, when it comes I, to again, body composition? Not, it's not that it's going to be bad. It's just not optimal. Uh, you, you have to understand that my approach is, in a way, uh, I'm a marketeer and a business administration first and foremost. So I try to use that uh, application into fitness. What is going to give you the best approach and where can you use optimally all your resources. You can eat more protein, but uh, the thing that that happens here is, yes, you're probably going to be more satiated up to a point, but you're just uh, wasting resources in a way that is not going to give you more. There comes a time where the law of uh, diminishing returns applies. You're not going to be uh, building more muscle by ingesting more protein. You can, uh, people who are carnivore, 
ingest protein, but also ingest fat. So I, it's, it, there's a time where it would be better to, instead of having more uh, calories from protein that uh, you would uh, move those calories for fat intake that is going to give you better energy. Okay. And uh, also another drawback of eating, of just going carnivore, in a way, again, it really depends on how you administer it, is that it's going to be likely a more expensive diet due to the amount of... Uh, of uh, meat that you have to eat again it really depends on where you buy your meat right mm -hmm. and that's and that's when you're talking about uh when you're working out things from a calorie point of view that you're looking at how much how would how much meat you would have to buy to get x amount of calories in a day for your needs in a way because if you uh, go back to uh, basic nutrition uh one gram of protein is four calories and uh, one gram of fat is nine calories. So you're basically getting two times the calories from fat versus from protein. And again, extra protein is really not going to do anything to improve body composition up, up to a point. Mm -hmm. And do you have a preference when it comes to sources of protein that uh, you found best for building muscle? Uh, always animal protein. Yeah. yeah. I'm not really a fan of using... Uh, vegetable sources of protein at uh, first because um, they are not optimal. In the, when you classify proteins, you do so in the, term, in the sense of biodisponibility or bioability. And vegetable proteins are not um, available in the same way as animal proteins. You, uh, there are some cases where you actually need two times the same amount of, anim, of uh, vegetable protein to meet the same uh, requirements and absorption of animal protein. So, for example, to put it uh, in, in an example, the highest uh, viability of protein would be between whey and egg, which uh, basically if you have ingest 10 grams of whey, you, your body absorbs uh, basically the 10 grams of uh, protein, right? If you were to have uh, 10 grams of, uh, for example, don't quote me exactly but because I'm going by what I remember, but probably pea protein, it could be as about a 65 or 70 percent of the absorption, so you're losing uh, a lot of protein there. Mm -hmm. You would have to ingest way more. And again, talking about calories, you do get the calories, but you don't get the protein. So it's not optimal. Again, uh, talking about optimization, and then also some amino acids are missing on vegetable protein. So you have to do. It's not that you cannot build muscle while uh, going vegan. I know uh, and I have friends that are vegan and are very successful at building muscle and power lifters. But uh, for me, it's not the best way. Mm -hmm. so, and do you, so if you've got anyone who is vegetarian or vegan, can they still join the Keto Gains community to learn how of to? Course, uh, they can and they are welcome to. But uh, we really don't offer that much information in that regard because our studies and uh, what we do is based more so on a paleo and a ketogenic diet. Okay, great. Um, so are you a fan then of protein shakes and protein bars and all that kind of stuff then as when you're trying to build muscle? No, I'm uh, more so of a fan of whole food. I do think that uh, shakes, when used uh, in an intelligent way, 
are uh, like a, a, a good alternative, especially for people who tend to not be that much uh, uh, hungry. But it, there's a very big difference between a whey shake, for example, versus a protein bar. First, because whey shakes is just the whey. Uh, uh, it's uh, the natural whey or, you know, hydrolyzed protein really depends on the source. But in the end, it's uh, very much uh, a non-processed uh, uh, food source. Uh, talking about after the industrial process, but it's just the whey. Whereas a protein bar is really just a sneaker bars with added protein. It's not optimal in the sense of everything that else that, that it has. I'd rather, instead of, for example, having a protein bar that on average is 200 calories, I'd rather have a, probably a 250 grams of chicken breast or a brisket or any other food that is going to be mu much more sustainable. Plus, it has a, uh, another benefit, which is called the uh, thermic effect of food. Uh, it's not the same to have a one shake or to have one protein bar from processed food versus to have the whole, uh, you know, the, a food as close as its origin uh, because of how your body re reacts and absorbs it. Okay. And so when when you're training and you're building muscle, is there an optimal time to have the protein intake then to with gross? It, so I've got friends that I see, they take, I think, protein shakes sometimes before they exercise. Is that the best time? Well, should you be so, eating a piece of chicken breast before you exercise or should you be doing fasting and then, and exercising in a fasted state? So like I I did fasting, uh, like I doing one meal a day uh, almost two years ago. And uh, it works but not as people think. There's really nothing anabolic about fasting. As much as you have read that there's an increase in human growth hormone, et cetera, et cetera, uh, if you actually look at the studies, they don't support the growth of muscle, more so the retaining. And it's a, a protective mechanism for your body to really don't go to full catabolic uh, when you are in, uh, in where you are probably in, uh, in a period of uh, where you're not really going to get food. Again, looking at it from an evolutionary perspective, um, it's not optimal to train fasted. And from a studies I've uh, reviewed and researched, it's best to have a protein shake before training, not after. And the reason is uh, digestion. Supposing that you're going to have a, a whey shake, which again, I said before, is the fastest absorbing uh, type of protein there is, that is absorbed at about 10 grams uh, per hour. So considering the typical uh, duration of a training workout, which would be between one to two hours, the protein would be get, uh, hitting your bloodstream just about when you finish your training. So if you actually want the protein to sync up with uh, the muscle protein synthesis process, again, you, you give your body the signal, which is strength training, then you give your body the material, which is a protein, then it makes sense to have the protein immediately before training so it's about 30 20 minutes before you hit your, the gym versus after if you want uh again talking about optimization the second best uh, thing would be to have it like uh, some people do after but i normally suggest our clients to have it just before okay that's a great tip and, there yeah and also to never train fasted again because uh when you're training fasted uh you are breaking down muscle that's a fact so you're training to build muscle. That's the, uh, you want to optimize and you want to build as much muscle as possible, then have at least a shake. Okay, yeah. And what 
because another thing I've seen, especially with bodybuilders, and you, you see them on all the YouTube documentaries where they even inject insulin for muscle growth. And I guess they sometimes they eat carby food afterwards for like an insulin spike. Is that, I mean, but with the way, with a ketogenic diet, it's trying to avoid these sort of insulin spikes. Um, but but you don't, uh, like, here's the deal. People think that of insulin as if, it, uh, as if it was evil, and they forget that it's actually an hormone made by your body and it has a purpose. What is bad is to have uh, your insulin high all the time. Insulin is not a thing that makes you go fat just because. Insulin, what, ha- what it does is helps uh, nutrients get stored into your cells. That's why bodybuilders do, uh, you know, the injecting in- insulin uh, thing. And here's the deal. You know why also, I also suggest people to have a weight shake before training? Because it spikes a little bit insulin. Then it primes your body for growth. But right. I, uh, people think that you need carbs to, grow, uh, to do this. No. Protein also do, does this at a, a slower or more manageable way. So it's best to have just your weight shake and that's it. Also, another thing, people think that um, when, when you do strength training, especially strenuous, your insulin will also sometimes spike up. That's something that uh, people who have diabetes notice very or mo- notice more often than, than people who don't. And again, it's because your body uses glycogen. Even if you don't ingest carbohydrates, glycogen is stored in your liver and stored in your muscles. Again, resynthesized even if you don't ingest carbohydrates. And what happens is that uh, probably you depleted a little bit of your uh, muscle glycogen. So your uh, liver uh, squeezes what glycogen uh, it has left on your bloodstream. And then it generates a little bit of an insulin spike. It rises your blood glucose. Exercise by itself can rise blood glucose. Yeah, because I've actually, I saw that um, I had a previous guest on a type 1 diabetic, uh, Dr. Carrie Dioulis, and she loves showing stats on everything. She's quite a um, a metric kind of driven orthopedic surgeon. Um, But she saw that even as a type 1 that, you know, if she did high intensity training, what it would do to her glucose, I I saw. And I um, I did come across some researchers who showed the same thing that there's quite a difference in the diabetic population between high intensity training versus like low intensity training, and that just ties in exactly what you were saying there, where the 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 strength training can actually raise your glucose levels. Yeah, it can uh, tend to happen. Yeah, and is that but that's meant to only be short term. It's not that your glucose levels will stay raised for a long period. No, they they stay like that for about twenty thirty minutes, and depending on the intensity and duration. And again, that's pretty normal. That's how your body's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Okay, and do you think then when you were talking about that great tip you mentioned with the whey, do you think there's a difference then between ingesting a whey shake versus having a piece of meat um, 20 to 30 minutes before? I'm just thinking more from a digestion point of view. Uh, no, the, well, again, uh, if you were going to have a chicken meat or any other, like speaking of whole foods, then don't have it 20 minutes before. Have it like probably two hours before. Okay. So that's a great tip. If you're going to stay with a whole food route, want it about two hours before a strength training exactly. session is going to be more ideal. But never, uh, what I like I, as a rule of thumb or recommendation, what I tell my clients is just to stay, to uh, not let more than four hours pass before um, having some food and training. So let's say that you're going to train. Okay. If you had, let's say, breakfast at seven and you're going to train at 12, that's you don't want to shake, it's perfectly okay. 
don't worry too much. It would be better if you had a, a, the whey shake, but again, don't worry too much. So either have breakfast, wait two, three hours, train, uh, and then you can have a whole uh, food meal after you train one hour later, or if you want to your shake, or the other way around, have, uh, especially for people who train very early in the morning, have a shake while you commute to the gym, train, then wait probably one hour, and then uh, have a big uh, normal meal. And I was thinking, especially with the timing in the morning, I know that some people are going to, they just don't like eating in the morning because it makes them feel a bit sick or they're just not a bit ready. But I guess a shake is an easier way to get something into you versus trying to eat if you're not, if you're that kind of person. That's uh, one of the main uh, ideas behind uh, this uh, pre-workout concoction. Okay. Uh, we call it the Keto Gains uh, pre-workout coffee, and it's very much uh, coffee. Uh, it can be decaffeinated if you don't like uh, caffeine, but again, uh, some people work out in the morning. Well, coffee does the trick. You can add uh, 25 to 30 grams of uh, whey protein powder, uh, a little bit of MCT powder, and uh, sodium and creatine, and it does the trick in a, in a very great way. That's uh, the, the formula we use. What what did you call it? The keto gains. The keto gains pre workout coffee. Oh, that sounds delicious, actually. <laughs> it's it's very much uh, in a way like uh, the bulletproof coffee some people use, but this is everything that has uh, here is uh, based on evidence. So it's uh, we do use MCT powder uh, because uh, it's uh, basically a, a way to get you um, energized for the training session between. 10 to 15 grams of MCT powder and powder because it mixes better in the shake versus the uh, oil. And because uh, it's very, it's milder on the stomach for some people. Some people, as you know, if you use MCT oil, it can be a little bit hard uh, on the digest, on, yeah, on digestion for some persons, especially if they're not really used to using it. And then we do add uh, sodium to it, about two grams. Again, because uh, hydration is very important while on keto, um, and creatine, which is uh, one of the only supplements we do suggest. Okay, and when you say sodium, it, that can just be a natural salt that you add in, Himalayan salt or uh, even low salt, which is the one that is a little bit low on sodium but high on potassium, so that you get a little bit of potassium as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, and when it comes to fat sources, how? What what are some typical fat sources that you would recommend? Uh, I normally suggest people use use a fat that comes from the from foods. Uh, plus, of course, avocado, coconut oil, MCT oil, uh, ghee. I'm I'm um, more so of a diet uh, dairy free um, follower in a way. I I myself it's not that I'm against. But uh, I don't do too well with nuts and, and dairy in general. So what I do and I recommend for clients who are on a weight loss protocol is to avoid dairy and nuts. More so for the uh, caloric density because it's very easy to overeat on them. Mm -hmm. So because we want to optimize, again, a, a caloric intake, it's best to just get the, the fat from uh, naturally occurring in, in your foods. Plus, again, some avocado, olive oil as a dressing. Uh, the little fat that you may be using to cook, uh, plus again MCT oil or uh, ghee, etc. Right? Not, but not go like some other people that 
add uh, five scoops of, of butter to their coffee, that they need to add a uh, half a stick of butter on top of a sirloin steak. No, I, I don't think that's optimal. Okay. And so how many meals in a day do you need to eat to maintain? I mean, anyone watching the YouTube video can already see through your shirt, you're a big guy. <laughs> and I'll share some uh, pictures of you too, to show, yeah, you, you're very muscular. So how, how much do you need to eat to sort of maintain that? How many meals in a day? Uh, that's also like a myth. You really don't need many meals, more so you need an equate amount of food. So. Even though I may look big, I really don't need that many calories. That's something that uh, makes people uh, like uh, really gasping at awe. But I'm uh, normally I consume around uh, eighteen hundred or so calories, so it's not that much. Uh, I have a, again a very efficient metabolism, uh, so that would be my average, even when strength training. Wow. And I normally have like two point five meals, uh, and by two point five, what I mean is probably depending on the day, a pre-workout shake, and then a big meal uh, after training, and then one uh, another big meal before I go to bed. That's normally how I, I eat. Or if for whatever reason, I'm very hungry like today. Uh, I had a, a breakfast. I had uh, like some meat and uh, one egg. And then um, probably I'm going to have a shake before I go to, to the gym after we finish the talk. And then I'm going to have a, a bigger meal after training. Okay. And um, so w when it comes to training, do you have any specific preference? Like um, I'm just thinking of someone who's gone through a protocol where they've tried to lose excess weight to begin with, which is why they were ketogenic. And so they, they feel they're more at a healthy weight now and they want to start exercising and building m muscle for general health. How do you introduce some someone into strength training? Well, let's uh, go uh, for the basics, people think that uh, they have to start with cardio, and uh, it's very uh, funny. But um, cardio is one of the least efficient ways to actually lose body fat. Um, of course, if you're not doing anything, doing cardio is better than nothing. Uh, but uh, the best uh, formula we found with again thousands of clients is a strength training. And we have a free program that you can get on Keto Gains that is uh, the 5 by 5 version of, uh, of Keto Gains, which uses a classic uh, 5 by 5 method. So it's just the basic compound lifts, uh, squat, deadlift, bench press, that you can do even at home. We have a, a barbell and a dumbbell version. And people at first may get a little bit uh, afraid of uh, because they think they cannot lift that heavy. but you start with your own body weight. Like even if you do an air squat, that's uh, that's enough. Eventually, you will be uh, getting stronger and you can add some weight and so on, but that's a process. It's like uh, you have to crawl before you, you run, right? You crawl, then you uh, walk, then you uh, go a little bit faster, then you can run. It's a process. Okay. And um, how many times in a week would someone train? What, what have you found to be sort of optimal? Again, it really depends on the availability and the schedule of the person. So I'm a believer that if you can train five, six days a week, go and train five and six days a week. Uh, but someone who is uh, new to this and is just starting probably two to three times a week, that's more than enough. But again, as you gain more strength, uh, 
to gain more muscle and to gain more strength, it's a game of volume. And volume is defined as uh, sets by reps by weight lifted. And there's only so much volume you can accumulate on a day-to-day basis. And so that's how you actually increase your muscle. You have to increase the volume you are training. And more advanced individuals will, of course, need more volume. And that only you can only do so by increasing the number of sessions that you do per week. But again, it's really between five uh, to six times a week for highly advanced individuals and two to three sessions uh, per uh, week for people who are just starting. So are you a fan of the sort of Doug McGuff, Body by Science, uh, 15-20 minute workouts? If done, like not really in a way because uh, I do believe the stimulus that he suggests is not optimal. That's good for people who are sarcopenic or older individuals. But if you are uh, young and, and able, uh, that's not the best. That's like, and th- there's a difference again between uh, doing the minimal to maintain and what is optimal to grow. And uh, the purpose of or the the protocol of uh, Doug McGuff is very much as the minimal approach to get the minimal results. Okay. And with um, with weight training too, I've heard that some people in, in the ketogenic community say that they get less muscle soreness, uh, so delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS. Do you, is that something that is reported in the keto gains community that um, there's less of that effect? With- That's highly individual. And the reality is that DOMS have really nothing to do with a good workout, no strength training. That's a myth. Uh, more so, the more adapted you are to a certain type of training, the less DOMS you're going to get. Okay. So that's- and some people think that they actually need it, like if they didn't feel them or very much like sweating, like if they didn't sweat, that they didn't do a, a good enough workout. Uh, it's an adaptation process. Like people who are highly uh, advanced in training seldomly get dumps. I seldomly get dumps anymore. And it's not because keto, it's because uh, my body is highly resistant and is highly adapted to strength training. I can put someone who has never strength training on keto and have him do a, a different uh, training session and he will get or she will get dumps. And we do get dumps with a lot of our clients when we change the programs. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great tip again there that you just shared that you don't have to feel <laughs> that you've broken yourself to get the best effect there. Um, it's it's not always the most ideal situation. You touched on um, with some of your clients being female, of course, too. And a question that always comes up with ladies is, is there anything more specific or different that they would need to do? So when it comes to strength training, is there any little nuances or little differences that might have to happen for, for women? Uh, like in, for the most part, there really isn't that much difference. Uh, when talking about, uh, uh, novice lifters, what they have to do is just go and strength train. Uh, women tend to think that, uh, strength training is just for males and actually uh, women respond incredibly well and even more so, uh, better than males in some aspects to strength training, especially to body recomposition, hormones, uh, health, etc. Um, all of our clients, I would say, um, do strength training that we don't do cardio in our programs and about 65, 70% are women. And they, they come from, uh, a lot of them 
from having never strength training before, from uh, doing the classic types of um, uh, exercise that is just cardio and heat and Zumba and um, uh, being on a bike and never had the results that they're getting right now. And we are having them drop the barbie weights, uh, drop the uh, group spinning sessions and go and lift the weights uh, like a, like any man would do. You know, go to the place where you know where the heavy weights are and let's start with the weight that you can carry with basic uh, movements and that's how you see results. The only m- difference that you see really with females is that they recover fairly faster than males in terms of um, how long they actually need to rest between sets and reps. And that's a physiological difference they, that men and women do have and also about how they adapt to training. But in a way, outside of that, uh, there's really not uh, much to change in regards to training. And of course, uh, some uh, exercise variations uh, if you want to sculpt the female body. But outside of that, like for the most part, again, speaking of uh, beginning and intermediate lifters, there's really not much to, to change. And the same kind of gross body movements that you talked about earlier of benching and squatting. Um, the exact yeah, the same movements that uh, uh, women tend to think that they will get bulky. And uh, the thing is, no, no one gets bulky. And if, if you were to get bulky, that would be after 20 years of strength training. And uh, also, well, women don't have the, the, the hormones that men do. So the, the rate at what at how uh, they're going to be building muscle is going to be basically about half of uh, their male counterparts. So it's nothing really to really worry about. Okay. Well, that's good for any ladies uh, who are listening who are keen to get more muscle but don't want to – yeah, exactly. They don't want the big bulky muscle look. They just want that sort of uh, lean muscle look. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, well, by doing strength training, what you do is uh, especially free weights – you prime your hormones to work uh, for you instead of against you. And uh, that's how you actually, you know, get your, uh, your curves, et cetera, is by doing strength training, not by doing lots of cardio. So that's so, I mean, that always happens. You see in the forms of women who have some sort of um, hormonal issue that they're trying to balance out, be it a thyroid or something. It's, and it's so complicated. But as you said, if you, you found that, doing strength training helps to sort of allow the body to regulate the the hormones again yeah exactly okay cool um louise uh we've talked a, a lot of cool actionable stuff um the keto gains community is that only for people who want to be bodybuilders or is it just for people or is it even for people who want to start the process where they're overweight and they want to lose weight um like wh- where where does keto gains come into this it's funny because uh, the name may scare some people, but if uh, you actually look at our demographics of people who are in the group and people who are our clients, it's very much what I said. It's uh, about 65-70% women who are over 35, so it's not uh, the typical uh, group for bodybuilders. Uh, and people are... We really don't cater to professional bodybuilders. Uh, we more so are uh scope is for people who want to improve their lifestyle and their health and the gains is not really uh speaking about muscle it's speaking about gaining uh better body recomposition gaining better health gaining better uh, cognition getting uh, more performance it's uh, 
gains apply to all, all aspects of your life via um, a ketogenic diet. Cool. So this is the point where I ask you, uh, are there any links that you could share or any um, resources for people to follow you? Because, I mean, you've shared so many actionable tips. I'm sure people want to, I mean, my myself included, uh, I know I need to get weight training again. And when I speak to people like you, it just reminds me, like, get off my lazy bum and actually <laughs> go, go lift some weights and, and start stimulating my muscle again. Um, so how can people follow you or keep in touch with you? Sure. Well, um, the easiest way is just to go to ketogains.com. That's our main website. Uh, in there, you can uh, look for what well, we have some articles that we normally write on a week, uh, sorry, on a monthly basis. But if you want direct input and interaction, you can go to Facebook and look for the Ketogains Facebook group or to Reddit and the Ketogains Reddit group. Uh, again, if you want, uh, I normally answer all of the questions and I'm very active on Facebook mostly. Uh, but if you tag me, I always uh, get a notification and I check and I answer uh, any questions. And I do only ask one thing, though, is that uh, people don't uh, send me personal mails or personal messages. I respond and I give uh, my advice uh, freely and thoroughly as long as it's done on an open format. Because they, uh, my mission is to help as much uh, people as possible. And uh, that's the only thing I ask. I, you want uh, direct advice from me, then ask openly so everybody can benefit and everybody can learn. If you want uh, something direct from me, then uh, we can uh, do their personalized co coaching or consulting. Or we have just um, our next round of uh, ketogenic boot camps, which is a mini course in nutrition, strength training. Uh, self-improvement that we do on um on a month-to-month -month basis and we start the next one next monday uh and it's a great way to start your education on not only on keto but more so on basic nutrition and basic strength training and it lasts uh seven weeks Cool. Well, I'm going to link to all of those resources in the show notes for everyone listening. And I just want to say, Luis, thank you so much for sharing all that knowledge today. Uh, I learned a whole bunch more about uh, how to grow good muscles. And I just want to say thank you so much for doing that. Thank you, Gary, for having me. Yeah.